Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. So stand for the reading of the word. We are in Revelation 7, 1 through 12. After this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice for, uh, to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land and the sea or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. For all the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. 12,852. Wow, it changed there. That must be a good tribe right there. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let's go ahead and pray before we uh, have a seat. And uh, can I just ask, say, uh, before we get going here, are you okay if we have a service, a gathering today that's a little out of the ordinary? You okay with that? Sometimes it's good when God just kind of sweeps in and kind of changes things out of the norm, gets us out of our routine, our rut. We as Americans like things to happen like we plan, and it's got to be orderly and organized, and you got to get me out of here at the right time of church so I can get, you know, because I'm hungry, you know, and so we can kind of put everything into a box, and I think God wants to bust the box today, if that's okay. Uh, God is bigger than the box. He created the box. He creates bigger boxes. He breaks boxes. He does all that kind of stuff, all right? And so uh, let's just get ready and let God do what he wants to do here today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much 
for your incredible love, for the power of your spirit who is alive and at work in this place, in, in, in our lives. And we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to have your way to move here in and among us. Would you speak to us? Open our ears to hear, understand what you would speak to us today. Open our eyes that we would see who you are, how powerful you are, how loving we, you are. Uh, Lord, we just uh, pray, Lord, that today would be not just an ordinary day, that, that this next few moments will not be just ordinary moments on a Sunday morning church service. Holy Spirit, we want you. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. Pastor Amy already mentioned it, but hey, we're still obviously in a remodel here. As you walked in, it's like it's starting to look really good, but it's not quite there yet. And I just got to give a few shout outs to some people that have put work into this. Uh, Griffin and Louie, they've put hours into getting all the stuff set up on the stage and the, the, the lighting and the sound and all that kind of stuff. Even... Uh, yesterday, Louis was having problems with the lights, as you could tell today. And uh, once you know, first service, they were perfect. No, no issues, nothing happens. Great. So he thought he had the issue resolved. And then it happened in second service. Sometimes I really believe there are demons in, in sound systems and light systems. And as we were declaring, break every chain, break, you see a light came on. Oh yeah, come on. And we got to the end, break every chain. This light came on. I'm like, all right, we just broke all the demons out of the light system. They're gone. So now the lights work, and we're great. Now people online can... I, I was going to have to preach from over here. That would have been really weird for me to stand in front of you guys uh, all day. But I would have done it just because. And so it's kind of one of those interesting things. But man, they've done a lot, a lot of work. People have helped them. It's been awesome. Uh, Mike Saldan has put a lot of work into our church here this week. And uh, Pastor Rachel and Tony have done a, like, put hours and hours and hours. In fact, they were here by themselves for several hours last night just making sure we could have church here today. And so I highlight them and just want you to thank them, love on them, give them a hug, give them a high five, uh, whatever. But there's a lot of you have helped and put in hours. Really, really appreciate you guys for your help. Um, but they have gone above and beyond and done so much. And so we just want to honor them and also say, if you have time, you want to help us out. We got more stuff to do, more work to do. Let us know if you're interested, if you're available this week, it's probably going to take us the next couple of weeks to get all the rest of this stuff done. We could use your help. That'd be great. So let us know. Hey, in two weeks is Easter. Did you know that? Two weeks from today. Uh, so excited about Easter. And that means two weeks from yesterday is the egg hunt. Hopefully you participate in a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I want to ask you right now to think about, pray about who are you inviting to church for Easter? Who are you inviting? Who are you bringing with you? Begin praying about that, thinking about that right now. We are going to talk about new beginnings on Easter Sunday. How many of you say, that sounds good, that feels good right about now, a new beginning. There's a lot of people that say, I could use a new beginning. I think it's very appropriate for the season that we've all been in. Uh, but we're going to talk about the God of new beginnings on Easter Sunday. Be praying about who God wants you to invite, to bring, to ask, and then do it. Don't just pray about it uh, and pray for them. Uh, step out and invite them and ask them. Now, on that Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we're going to do a special offering. It's going to be our next Kingdom Builders offering. And as we receive this offering, 100% of it's going to go out of our church. It's going to go to the Boys and Girls Club over there in Palomino. They need their game room updated and upgraded. And so we thought, well, let's help. And so they want to um, get some new stuff in there. They've been trying. They haven't been able to. And so this is a cool opportunity for us as a church to just give 
to an organization that's serving hundreds of kids over there and families in the Palomino area. That Boys and Girls Club is right between the two elementary schools, right across the, the way from the park where we're going to be doing the egg hunt. And so we are going to receive an offering for the Boys and Girls Club there, and we'll send it all to them, and we're going to help buy a bunch of stuff for them. And so that's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks. So you can pray about how much you'd want to give to that. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at God's heart for revival and renewal. You ready for this? This is, is going to be a fun and interesting topic in the midst of our Revelation series. And so we're in the middle of season two, Apocalypse, a journey through Revelation. And today I want us to look at God's heart for revival and renewal. And we're, we're right in chapter seven now, chapter six through 20 seems to be this period that we would call the tribulation that will take place in the end times. It's a seven-year period where basically all hell breaks loose. I mean, there's this wrath, judgment, wars, killing. A fourth of the earth is, is wiped out on this and a third. On, it's just all this crazy chaos is going on. And I, I think we got to understand the, that God's heart, though, is not to kill people and send them to hell. God's heart is not to destroy the earth. In fact, he tells us his heart. Jeremiah 33 says this. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. That is God's heart. It is not to punish. That's not what he is about. But God will stay true to his word. God will stay true to who he is. He is holy and he is just. And so we see his justice coming out through the book of Revelation. All right, so let's go to chapter six. Before we get really dive into chapter seven that we're going to look at today, let's look at chapter six, right where we left off last week. So if you listened to the message last week, if you're here with us last week, we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, famous horsemen there. So let's go to chapter six, verse nine. This is where they open the fifth seal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. All right, so John's attention here as the fifth seal is open moves from earth up to heaven. And what he sees is he sees the altar, and underneath the altar are these martyrs. I think their location is very significant. First of all, it's close to God. I think that God's heart, he's got a, a, a big heart for martyrs. But they're underneath the altar. The altar is a place of commitment and dedication. It's a place of sacrifice, isn't it? If anybody embodies commitment, dedication, and sacrifice, it would be people who are martyred for their faith in Jesus. And so we've got these, these martyrs here. And why are they martyred? John tells us specifically, it's because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. So who are these martyrs? Truth is, we don't really know. Did they come from like nowadays? Like, are they martyrs from 
you know, first century church, even the first disciples, Peter and all these guys that have given their life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer through the years, people nowadays, brothers and sisters are being persecuted and being martyred for their faith. Is it these people now or is it people that are going to be martyred during the tribulation for their faith? Because people, it appears, will come to faith in Jesus during this seven year tribulation, but it will be extremely difficult for them. So we're going to look at that uh, a little bit later. But again, I think this shows us that God has a special place for martyrs in his heart. So these martyrs, they didn't just live their faith. They died for their faith, didn't they? Regardless of however hard it got for them, they didn't quit. They didn't turn their back on Jesus. They didn't deny their belief or their faith in Jesus. They kept their trust in him. They never gave up. And because of that, they lost their life. But here they are, they're very much alive, and they're experiencing their reward. And so again, why Why do they get a reward? Why are they here with God? Because of the word of God and the testimony that they maintained. So let me ask you this. Do you stand for the word of God? How important is this book to you? Uh, Do you stand for for what is true? Because that's what this book contains. This book is the foundation of faith for our lives, for the world. Like, how important is this book to you? This book is God's love letter to you. This book reveals to you who God is and all that he did for you. It reveals all the promises that he has for you. It, It reveals the great lengths that he went to for you to show that he loves you and he wants relationship with you. How important is this book to you? It's important that... This book is the foundation of our life, that, that we are, are, are courageous and bold in sharing and talking about this book. We're not called to just believe this book. We're called to live this book. Now, there's a difference between believing and, I would say, trusting. There's a difference. There's a guy named Blondin. Maybe you've heard of him from past history. Blondin, he lived in the, in the late 20th century mid to late 20th century. He was a a famous acrobat guy from France, but he's really famous for being the first guy to tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. So you've heard stories about guys doing things like this. Okay, so Blondin, as his nickname was, because I guess his hair was really blonde, uh, he did this several times. And he would gather thousands of people just to witness him walking across this tightrope across Niagara Falls. Like that would be a sight to see. I have never been to the Niagara Falls. Maybe some of you have. And I I hear it's just like, whoa, okay? And he did it. And so because it's such a crazy feat, crowds would gather. And it's said that one time he had a wheelbarrow. And he was going to take a wheelbarrow across the the Niagara Falls on that tightrope. He did it blindfold once too, by the way. But he had a wheelbarrow one time. And he's like, how many believe I could take this wheelbarrow across this tightrope across Niagara Falls? And everyone's like, yeah, we believe, Blondin, you can do this. And then it's said that he asked, and who wants to jump in the wheelbarrow and go with me? <laughs> Dead silent. Which you probably would respond the same way, right? Like, I'll watch. <laughs> you see, there's a difference between believing and trusting. They believed he could do it, but they were not going to trust their life with him doing it. There's a difference for us in believing in God and fully trusting in him with our life. 
You could easily say about these martyrs, they, they didn't just believe in Jesus. They trusted him. And I pray that that would describe you and I, uh, that we wouldn't just believe in him, but we would trust him in every area of our life. Every single one. Jesus is worth putting your trust in. So we got these martyrs. They stand for the word of God. They, they have a testimony that they maintained. It continued throughout their entire life, even unto death. So you can see they weren't just about believing in God. They trusted him even unto death. And can I just say that your testimony matters? Your story of what God has done in your life. And I would say even like everybody's story matters, regardless of, of their religion, their faith walk and all that, believe in God, don't believe in God. Everybody's story matters. Your story matters. Your testimony about how Jesus has saved you, redeemed you, set you free. It is a big deal. And I pray that God would give you the courage and the boldness to share your testimony, to share your story. You never know how God's going to use that. As you step out, sometimes it's a step of faith where you feel like, oh, it's kind of scary. I could get rejected. Uh, people could look down on me. I don't know how this is going to go, but you step out. God can use your story to profoundly impact somebody's life for eternity. And I pray that he would use you to do that. Now, this week, I actually had a great opportunity to do that with a friend of mine. And so I shared part of my story, part of God's story, part of the gospel with him. And at the end of it, I wasn't sure how he was going to respond and what he was going to think. And at the end of it, he said, man, that's, that's really interesting. I, I'd be interested in talking about this a little bit more. And I thought to myself, yes, that's awesome. Okay. And so this week, we're going to talk some more. I'm going to take advantage of that and I'm going to keep having that conversation with him because I just believe and pray that he's going to put his trust in Jesus and his life is going to be changed. I love it when you have opportunities to do that. I pray that you have opportunities to do that. Share your faith. Your testimony is powerful. Use it. Share it. All right. So these guys, they maintain their testimony. They, they stood for the word of God. And obviously, they lost their life. I think it's important for us to realize when we stand for God's word and stand for truth and we share our testimony, we will face persecution. It's going to happen. Uh, you may not lose your life, although it could happen to some of us. But you might lose a job. You might lose money. You might lose popularity or prom. You might lose some stuff. You, will, you and I will face persecution if we do that. Paul actually said this to Timothy. He said, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it's going to happen for all of us. So we got these martyrs. They, they gave their life for Jesus. Regardless of who they are, they're, they're, they could have gotten saved in the tribulation. It could have been before the tribulation, but they're alive in heaven and they're speaking to God in that moment. Now, there's so much in those three verses that I just read that we're going to come back to it next week because we're just going to look at a few angles of it this week and then come back again next week because there's some more really cool stuff for us to look at. But they're asking this question to God. How long, God? How long? How long are you going to allow this to happen? And their question isn't, hey, those people killed us. You need to you need to seek revenge, God, and kill them because they killed us. It's not a revenge question. It's really about God's honor and, and concern about the suffering of his people and all the suffering that's going on in the earth. Like, how long are you going to allow this to take place? Remember, we've talked about this. God's judgments are about his justice. 
Not about an angry God who wants to kill people. These judgments being poured out through and in the tribulation bring justice to the injustices that are in our world. So we all like it when injustice is taken care of through justice, right? So that's what God is going to do in these end times. And so now let's jump to Revelation chapter 7. Let's look at this, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. He's not talking about the animal. He's talking about a kind of a mark thing, okay? Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, if you've studied Revelation, read through it, or studied end times stuff, you've heard about the 144,000. Right? These are the famous group of people. Who are the 144,000? The Jehovah's Witnesses, they claim that they are the ones. There's other groups that claim they're the 144,000. But when you look at this passage, it seems very, very clear to me that it's Jews. <laughs> I mean, they take the time to go through all the 12 tribes of Israel. Did you notice that as Amy walked us through all of those? And so it seems very clear that this is Jewish people that are going to become saved during the tribulation. It could be a literal 144,000 people. It could be figurative. It doesn't matter. These are Jews. And why? Why is this going to happen? Uh, it's because God has always had a special place in his heart for Jewish people. I mean, you read through the Bible, three quarters of the Bible is about Jewish people. In the end, as we read through Revelation and end times, all that stuff, it all centers around one nation, Israel and a city called Jerusalem and these people called the Jews. All the authors of the, the Bible, they were Jews. Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, was a Jew. <laughs> his 12 disciples, they were Jews. Okay, so you kind of get the point, like the first church in Jerusalem, all Jewish, right? Okay, so God has a, has a heart for these people still, and they have a part to play in the end times. I think that part of the reason that the tribulation is going to take place is for the Jewish people to receive the Messiah. They missed him the first time. And God's given them another opportunity as they walk through this. They're having an opportunity because there's a lot of, of Jews who do believe in the Messiah. There are Messianic Jews, obviously, going back to the first century church. They were Messianic Jews is what we would call them today. But uh, there's a lot that had missed him, and they're going to have another opportunity to receive Jesus as their Messiah. Hmm. It's kind of interesting when you think about the role of the Jewish people still today. So... It says that they are saved and they're sealed. We saw that several times, right? They're sealed. And when you and I put our trust in Jesus and we're saved by him, we are also sealed today. Did you know that? The Ephesians 1 talks about that. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who saves us and seals us. Only he can do that, which leads to this question. Maybe you're already there, 
but as you really begin to study end times and tribulation and all that kind of stuff, how can these people be sealed and saved during the tribulation? I thought the church is gone. Some of you maybe thought the Holy Spirit has gone off the earth. What's, what's going on here? How can people be saved? Because the only way for us to be saved is by the Holy Spirit. Right? So isn't the Holy Spirit gone during the tribulation? Isn't the church gone during the tribulation? So let's explore that just for a few moments. And this comes from Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And so Paul is writing to his friends at this church in Thessalonica. They've had conversations about this before. I'm going to start in verse 6, but verse 5 talks about, hey, guys, remember, we've talked about this. Like, when we're all hanging out, we talked about this a lot. So these people that are receiving this letter understand exactly what Paul is talking about, and we're missing some of the context in previous conversations, so we're left to try to interpretate who is the one that, did I say that wrong? Interpretate? Yeah, sorry. Is that a word? Can you interpretate something? We are. We're going to interpretate this today for us, all right? Is that Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I've been talking a lot. Okay, sometimes it happens, right? Yeah. Lord, help me. So um, we're, we're going to try to interpret what, what is Paul talking about? Who's the one? So let's look at this. And now you know what is holding him back. Who's him? It's the Antichrist. He's, he's going on about the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. So he's saying, you, you guys know, we've talked about this before, what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper Time. The Antichrist will be revealed at a very specific and proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness, you could also say the spirit of the Antichrist, is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So we're left to ask ourselves, what on earth does that mean? Who is Paul talking about there? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit or the church so who is holding the spirit of the Antichrist back right now? We would say, truly, it is the Holy Spirit holding him back. But he is using the church to hold back the spirit of the Antichrist. His believers, his faithful, loyal church are holding back the spirit of the Antichrist. And so when the rapture happens, which is possibly, maybe even I could use the word probably, before the tribulation takes place, the, the, the church is raptured. The church is gone during the seven-year period of the tribulation. So some people are thinking, like, okay, so then the Holy Spirit must be gone, and then all hell breaks loose. That's, that's why it all happens, because the Spirit's gone and the church is gone. But the Holy Spirit is still present. There's no other way for people to be saved. So what it appears to, to be taking place is that the Holy Spirit okay, raptures the church and then loosens his grip on the spirit of the Antichrist and lets the spirit of the Antichrist, and really lets the Antichrist say, uh, you, can, you can have your way just for a little bit. And we get to see what happens when evil really is unleashed on this earth. Because right now, the, the, the Holy Spirit, through us, the church, but really the Holy Spirit is holding back the spirit of the Antichrist. So, that makes sense? Is that Okay, so... Here's what we see next. We'll talk about that more later in coming weeks. We'll talk about rapture and tribulation and all that kind of stuff. But let's go into uh, this next verse, verse 9. Because what we see taking place next in this chapter, right in the middle of the tribulation, is, is, is fascinating. My Bible's falling apart here. Here we go. I've got to fix it. We actually see what seems to be a revival. 
right in the middle of the tribulation. So, what verse are we at? Verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So what's interesting about that uh, sentence there is all throughout Revelation, you see John throwing out tons of numbers. Have you noticed? There's like one of that and one of that. And there's three of that and there's three of that. And there's seven of that, seven of that. Okay, four of those. And there's 144,000 of these. And 144, there's 12,000 of that, 12,000 of that. And, all, you know, and there's all these numbers everywhere. And then John looks at this. And he's like, I can't count that one. I don't know. <laughs> there's too great a number nobody's telling me, God's not telling me, the elders aren't telling me, like, this is, this is too big. Like, there's so big, we can't even count. Like, that's awesome. A vast multitude here that we are, we are looking at. Every nation, tribe, people, and language who believe in Jesus. Every nation, people, tribe, language, people, they're all represented as believers in Jesus. Now, this is what Jesus said would happen in the end, actually. He said all nations are going to hear the gospel. And so we can go back to Matthew chapter 24, which we keep going back to all the time, this all of it discourse, because it really applies to what we're looking at. And Jesus said in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So this is what this could likely mean. Once the gospel is adequately preached to all people groups and all nations across the globe, then the end will take place. But the Father, only he knows, not even Jesus, but the Father knows when, that, when he's going to say, yes, now is the time, but he is perhaps waiting for us to get to every tribe and proclaim the gospel so that everybody can have representation, or at least an opportunity, in heaven. Now, we're partnering with an organization called the Timothy Initiative right now, who is training us as we're training people to, be, to do this disciple-making movement. It's part of our disciple-maker thing. This organization called the Timothy Initiative, they're phenomenal, guys. These guys are uh, making disciples and planting churches all over the globe by the thousands. And so it's fun to be connected to them. And they have a very systematic approach right now. They're very organized, very thorough. And they have identified all of the unreached people groups left on planet Earth. And in the next several years, they say, we're taking the gospel to every single one of those so that they can hear the gospel. And if that is the last thing that needs to take place, you know, we have all these prophecies that had to take place. And it seems like so much of this has taken place already in the world. And now maybe we're waiting just this one last one. And then Jesus will return. That just shows us that he could return very, 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 very soon. People get ready. Jesus is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Now, I don't say that to alarm us because we got to be real. Even the disciples of Jesus in the first century believed that Jesus would come back in their lifetime, okay? They had this expectancy that he was coming back. So every generation has had that expectancy. So we for certain should have that expectancy. Jesus is coming back. And uh, we believe that he said he was going to do it. And so then we're, we're trying to interpret scripture. Is it going to be this? Is it going to be this? There are some people that believe this verse will not be fulfilled. All of the, the world hearing the gospel so that all tribes and tongues are represented in heaven. That actually will not be fulfilled until the middle of the tribulation, perhaps through this great revival that we're seeing. 
And so that is actually possible too. It's likely. There's some people that believe that, that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, but there's, there's a lot that actually believe in a mid-tribulation rapture. And let me just say this. It is possible that the rapture will happen in the middle of the tribulation. As we're trying to interpret scripture and try to understand what, what all this means and, and what's best, it is possible for us to be wrong in some of our interpretation of scripture. And I say that to say this. Don't put all of, what do they call it, your eggs in one basket. I don't even know what that means or where that comes from. Don't put, like, the rapture has to happen before the tribulation because if it doesn't, some of y'all might get really upset. And we might get mad at God, like, God, what you, you know, your word says this. And he's, and he'd be like, you know, you read it wrong. Sorry. You know, it's possible that that could happen. And so I just say that, say we need to be emotionally, spiritually, physically prepared. We may go through part of the tribulation guys, and we got to be strong if that is what takes place. Okay. So it's, it's, it's at the very least worth mentioning. Again, we'll talk more about that later, but regardless, we're going to go through tough times in life now, right? <laughs> We're going to experience those things now. It may not be tribulation tough, but it's, it's tough now. So keep the faith, friends. Keep the faith. And let's keep proclaiming the message of the Lord. Let's proclaim the gospel now while we can, the best that we possibly can. All right? Have you heard this phrase before? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You heard that before? Okay. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, which kind of get the point of that. It's like, make sure you live the life. Some people that can talk the talk but not walk the walk. But I think we should do both. Talk the talk and walk the walk. All right? So here's my thought. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words and actions and everything necessary. That's my retake on that quote. That quote originally that I shared is, is ascribed to Frank, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've seen that. Like he said, do say that. Actually, it's, there's no record anywhere in history that he ever said that. But someone probably made it up and put his name next to it. Because if you put St. Francis of Assisi next to it, you're like, oh, dude, that's we got to believe that then. That's really good. It's kind of like making up quotes. I, I, I love doing this. And I'll say something, and I'll say, Billy Graham said that. And be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just kidding. It was me, actually. You're like, oh, really? <laughs> My take is we need to use words and actions. Live the life and talk the life. Walk the walk and talk the talk. We need to do both. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Is what. So the people got to hear the words so, so they can have faith. All right. So, hey, let's go ahead and keep moving on here. Uh, Revelation 7, verse 13 and 14. Let's look at who these people are, this great multitude here. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? And what I love about this, if I could just pause right there, is that the elder comes, one of them comes to ask John this. It's as if God wants John to know and us to know who these people are. John's not asking this. The elders coming to him and saying, do you know who these people are? And John's like, I have no idea. Can you tell me, please? You know, is what he says. <laughs> I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Sometimes when we get to blood passages, it can seem weird to people, especially if you're new to Jesus and this church stuff. You're like, man, this is, a, what is this, some cult that I'm hanging out with here? You know, let's talk about blood. But this is a reference to Jesus dying for you and I on the cross. So what we know is that we've sinned. This world is broken. We've all sinned. And our sin 
that we have committed against God and ourselves is a rebellion against God, and the penalty of that is death. But Jesus says, I don't want you to pay that penalty. I'm going to step in. I'm going to do that for you. Jesus died for us. He shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. When we put our trust in him and ask for forgiveness for our sins and trust that he did that for us on the cross, then our life is saved. We are made new. We're a new creation. His spirit comes and lives inside of us. He sets up resident inside of us. It is an amazing thing. That is what is being referenced right here. You are washed. You are cleansed because Jesus shed his blood on the cross when you accept what he did for you on the cross. There's three words that stood out to me in this passage as I was reading that this week. These are the ones, the elder said, who have come out of. Everybody say, come out of. They have come out of the great tribulation, he says. And that, that just really resonated with me. They made it. God brought them out of this. And I felt like God wanted to speak to some of you today and say, no matter what you're going through right now, you're going to come out of it. God's going to bring you out of it. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you will come out of this because you and I can trust God even unto death. You will come out of it. He's got you. He's got your back. So we see that these are people who have actually gotten saved. It appears during the tribulation. Uh, this is amazing, guys. Like, there's a huge revival that takes place during the seven-year tribulation, a worldwide revival. In the midst of all this wrath and this judgment and wars and men killing men and, and famine and people starving to death and this economic chaos and the, the sun is scorching the earth and, and all this crazy, intense hardships. One quarter of the earth is wiped out. In the midst of all of this, we see a great revival take place. <laughs> Guys, this shows us God's heart. God's heart is not to punish people. God's heart is not to destroy the earth. His heart is not to send people to hell. His heart is to draw people into relationship with him. God's heart is for revival. In the midst of the greatest period, that the most difficult period, perhaps the greatest mess the world has ever seen, the greatest message the world has ever heard is going to change people's lives. Think about that. The greatest message in the world will infiltrate the greatest mess in the world. People will put their trust in Jesus. They will follow him, even though it will be difficult to do so. This shows us, friends, what God's heart truly is. He wants to save. He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. He wants to revive. That is his heart, friends. And he will do it even in the, the, the worst seven years that the world will ever, ever go through. But isn't that like God to use pain and tragedy to bring good? Because <laughs> that's what God already does. That's why Romans 8.28 is so important for us that God can work good in any and every situation. And so here we see God working good in the midst of what you could say is the worst of times. There was also the best of times right here in tribulation. And God can use tragedy and pain and he can use it to bring him glory, to do something new and to, and to bring amazing things that could have never happened if we had not gone through that. You know, we don't enjoy pain, do we? 
We hate pain. We hate discomfort. We hate going through difficult things in life. Uh, it's just no fun. You know, they say pain is something you see, you can't ignore it. It's just always there in front of you, right? I love what C.S. Lewis says about pain in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, pain, it insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses pain and tragedy to draw people to him. You know, there's people that walk through pain and tragedy, and for them, their conclusion is, well, God must not care. He must not be a loving God. I, don't, I want nothing to do with a God that would allow me to go through such a thing, and they would get mad and blame God and, and even deny his existence. A lot of people respond to, to God in that way, but there's other people, they walk through pain and tragedy, and they realize, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I'm broken. This world is broken. God, I need you to come and fix me, to fix that. God, heal me. God, would you restore me? It causes them to really, really put their trust in him even more. Can I say that no matter what you go through, God can be glorified through it. God can use it. And no matter what season you're in, God wants to move in your life. If he can do it in the tribulation, he can do it right now in your life. Do you want that? Do you long for that? I believe God can take your mess and turn it into a message. If you will let him, he'll take that messy thing you're going through. It'll be a message that is not about how good you are, but about how great he is and all that he wants to do in your life. Hey, let's remember God didn't make this world broken. He made it perfect. We broke it with sin and rebellion. We broke the world. But Jesus came to the cross so that we could be restored. It's, an, it's a personal, it's an individual restoration. It's a peace that he gives us. Someday Jesus is going to fully restore peace, restore the whole earth and everybody. But for now, it's for you and I on the inside. And he offers that to all of us. It's a peace that goes beyond anything you and I can understand that he has for every single one of us. Let God take your mess and turn it into a message. Would you? Let's look at these last few verses here as it describes such an incredible promise. And get this, this is not just for these people John is telling us about. This is for everybody in every generation. This is why Revelation is such an important book for us, guys, because this has ministered to every generation to let them know that no matter what you go through, it's going to be all right. And by the way, here's what happens in the very end. It's good to, to read the end of the book. So it's all going to work out okay. <laughs> so... That's what it says, verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. <laughs> Some of you, I know you've shed a lot of tears. There's going to be a day where that will happen no more. As God says, now everything's okay. Let me encourage you, friends. Stand upon the truth of God's word and continue to be a faithful witness to him no matter what. Maintain your testimony for Jesus no matter what. What I love about this passage, man, Revelation chapter 7 is so fascinating because in the midst of all this bad, 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 bad news, bad news, all of a sudden God says, oh, but here's some good news. It's like a little pause in the tribulation. 
Revival's taking place, showing us that God can bring good anytime, anywhere, for anybody who will let him. God's heart is for revival, guys. His heart is for renewal. Do you want that in your life? Do you want more of him? Do you want to see him do more of that through your life, in your family, in this church? I believe that God is always looking for people who are going to let him use them in the midst of any season, uh, that are going to be hungry for him, desperate for him to do greater things than what they've seen, to trust him no matter what they see, no matter what they're going through. God is looking for the hungry and the desperate, and I pray that you would be one of those. To say, God, I want to see revival. Like, we're not going to wait till the, till the tribulation. Let's see it now. Let's pray for it now. Let's say, God, use me now. I want to see revival. I want to see people's lives changed now. So God, use me now. I, I, I believe God's looking for people that are hungry and desperate to say, God, here I am. I'm ready. Here we go. Here's why I think we don't have revival. Why we don't see God do what he can, he can do. And it's because we're content without it. If we're honest. We're happy. We're comfortable. We got our... our semi-cush life. We can go through tough stuff, but for the most part, we're good. And we're content without revival, but I pray that there'd be a holy discontentment that would rise up inside of us to say, God, I want to see more. I want to see you move more. I want to see you do those greater things. God, would you use me? Hey friends, Jesus is coming back. Come on, let's do all that we can until he comes. Let's do all that we can uh, while we have time. Let's not wait till later then when this, when this season change, when life gets less busy then. All those things we say to ourselves, we can, come on, now. And what I wanted to do was end by looking at the beginning of Acts chapter one. I won't read through that passage, but I want to point out just a couple things in it. And again, we're just going to let the spirit have his way here today, guys. Let's not... Let's not get caught up in what has to happen right now, okay? Well, here's what's interesting. In Acts chapter one, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and it's the last time they're hanging out. And they take advantage of this moment before Jesus ascends into heaven. They take advantage of this moment to ask him the question yet again. The question that we wonder as we read through Revelation, when is all this gonna happen? God, now is it? And they ask him, Jesus, now is now the time? Are now you going to restore the kingdom? Like we want to know. That's what they're asking Jesus. And so Jesus' response in Acts chapter 1, verse 7 is, that's not your concern right now. In fact, nobody knows, only the Father in heaven knows. But then verse 8, he gives us this very important verse, very important truth for us as believers. He says, but here's the focus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They wanted to know, is now the time? Are you coming back to restore everything? Because they'd be pretty good right now. Like, we're ready. And, and he says, no, I don't know. Only God knows. Here's your focus. I'm going to fill you with power. And I got a mission for you. Uh, I, I got some plans for you. I want you to go and focus on this. And friends, they did it. And what we see as you read through Acts is they were people that were not just expectant of Jesus returning, but they were so urgent with the mission God has given them. They had an expectancy and an urgency. And I pray that we would have both an expectancy and an urgency. I've seen a lot of Christians that they have an expectancy, but they live with the complacency. 
Oh, I believe Jesus is going to come back. He could back, come back anytime, but I'm not doing anything about it. I'm just going to sit on my rear and I'm going to just let Jesus bless me and, and, and live my life, but I'm not doing it. There's no urgency. There's complacency. When we live with urgency, it kills complacency. And I pray that urgency would rise up inside of us and we would have both uh, expectancy and urgency. That's my prayer that God would ignite in us friends. Both of those things. Urgency causes me to live the way Jesus is called me to live. Urgency causes me to share my faith, to be bold. Urgency causes me to find purpose in the pain. To allow God to turn my mess into a message. Urgency, it drives me to my knees and, and causes me to cry out for more. God, God, I want to see more. I want you to do more in my life. Friends, I pray that we would be full of the Holy Spirit and full of power. He has given you power, power. The Holy Spirit was meant to comfort you. Don't look to anything else to comfort you. Look to the Holy Spirit to comfort you. He also wants to empower you to be a witness. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray this over you. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.